Well, thank you, Pastor Vikram. Thanks so much for the invitation. Uh, this is terrifying and intimidating. Uh, when I was in this church, in uh, this ministry, it wasn't called 128 at the time, but uh, there were four of us. So this is a uh, gargantuan crowd, and uh, it's good to be with you this evening. I want to give you a roadmap for uh, what the Lord has for us in His Word this weekend. And tonight we'll be talking just foundationally about your role in the church. What is your place in the church? And we'll be looking at Ephesians 4 to do that. Our last session, Saturday afternoon, we're going to unpack a biblical doctrine of eternal rewards that God has in store for all of us, eternal rewards that flow out of the work he produces through us in this life. And I hope we'll see how those two are connected as bookends for the weekend. And then in the middle, uh, tomorrow morning, uh, we're going to be split up, guys and girls, and we're going to be talking about making the most out of the advantageous season of life that you are in as singles. And we might put it this way, getting the most out of your singleness, and we might put it another way, giving the most out of your singleness. And so that's sort of a roadmap for the weekend And uh, we're going to start this evening with a word of prayer. Will you pray with me? Lord, thanks for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to put our lives under the scrutiny of your word. And we pray that it would produce in us worship and joy and service. We pray that you would produce for us a love for your church and a benefit to your church, whose cause is global and universal in the sense that there is no other mechanism for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, and there is no other message that men and women of every tongue and tribe and people and nation must hear and know and believe in order to get to heaven. These are monumental things that we're a part of, eternal things that we participate in. And so we pray that you would equip us, even this night, to be effective servants for you in this great cosmic cause of making your name great on the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and I was reading the small group questions you were just discussing. You have already done the homework for this message, so thank you very much. I can say amen, close in prayer, and we be done for the evening. But I didn't hear what you had to say about it, so you get to hear what I have to say about those questions that you answered. And I want to turn your attention to Ephesians chapter 4, and and as you're looking there, I want you to understand that singleness is not an appendage to an otherwise interesting life. I would contend that the season of life that you are in right now is critical, strategic, and advantageous to things that matter for eternity. I would suggest to you this evening that you are the reason that God's church grows. How does the church grow? By you. That is the point of the text we'll look at this evening. So look down at Ephesians chapter 4. We'll start up at verse 11, and we'll read to the end of verse 16. Here's what God says through the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. That God gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor-teachers 
for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. If you've thought for a moment that church is a part of my life, I would suggest to you that you have the equation backwards. The reality, according to Ephesians 4, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your life is a part of the church. You are a part of an organism a body of people that are interconnected and independent for God's purposes. And if you have a small view of church, like it's that building I go to, that's not a biblical definition of the church, or it's that thing I do for an hour on the weekend, that's not a biblical definition of church. We want to rewrite that and let Ephesians 4 speak to how your life is a critical part of the organization God has designed to accomplish his purposes of salvation on the earth. This is big, and you need to know how you fit in. And I hope, even as we're thinking about this, that you love the idea of church growth. I hope you love the idea of church growth. If you're the type of person that says, hey, I got my friends around me, I like the way we do church, and if anybody were to leave or if anybody were to join, it would mess up what I really like here. Maybe you've thought that way about a Bible study or a small group or a, maybe a clique within the church. That is not God's view here. God is interested in church growth. In fact, the reason that Countryside Bible Church exists on the earth is because the church grew in expansion from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to South Lake. South Lake's about as far from Jerusalem as you can get on the globe. And the task isn't done yet. And so Jesus loves church growth. He, he bled for the church, and he commanded the church to go in expansion until the church age is over and the church's mission is accomplished. We're a part of that. We're part of the, the long stream and the relay race of what Jesus is doing through growing his church. So I hope you like church growth. And you think about church growth, and, and there are many strategies out there for growing the church. Uh, T-shirts, bumper stickers, billboards, advertisements, celebrity appearances, smokes, uh, smokes. Whoa, that was not the right illustration. <laughs> Maybe in some churches, okay? Um, actually, uh, Mountain City Baptist Church. I was in a church where the, the entire um, uh, industry in the town was the local prison and the tobacco growers. And so it was actually strange if you weren't smoking a cigarette in the parking lot after church. That's another story. I meant to say smoke machines and laser lights. And what do we need to do to make this place entertaining so that people can come? Because the idea behind all of those church growth strategies is how do we get the world in? And listen, I appreciate the sentiment. Does the world need the gospel? Yes. 
But the task of the church is not to get the world into it. The task of the church is to be the church according to God's blueprint, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, as we just read in Ephesians 4.11, so that the saints scatter into the world, proclaim Christ, and thereby build the church. What is the task of the church? To be the church. It's a unique organism set out and apart from the world. It is to do things the world cannot do. And so when we think about church growth, when I think about church growth, I'm not talking about all the strategies that the gurus come up with to try to get more people into a building for a meeting. I want church growth according to the definition of growth in this passage. Growing up into him who is the head, according to the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. That is, the church is for believers in Jesus Christ to grow in their maturity in Jesus Christ, to grow in their discernment and understanding of the truth, and to grow in their effectiveness as gospel takers out of the church into the world. That's the blueprint. What does Ephesians 4 lay out for us? Leaders equipping believers for ministry until there is unity in the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, a maturity in keeping with the fullness of Christ, the end of gullibility, vulnerable to every trend and doctrine and idea that blows through town, speaking the truth in love, growing up in all aspects into Christ who is the head of the church. That kind of growth cannot be measured by the numbers of people in attendance or by the rows of cars in a parking lot, by the size of a budget or a building, by programs or activities or online followers, or by how many of its bumper stickers are seen in the local commute. That kind of growth is measured by God's standards. Is the church more like Christ? Is the church more effective in its gospel witness? Is the church mature in the truth? Is the church discerning? And if the church is to reproduce and expand, it must work properly. So Jesus is very interested in church growth. Jesus has a plan for his church. He has a blueprint for it. And I want us to ask and answer the question, how does the church grow? And I mean by that mechanically. What has to happen for the church to actually do this growth that Jesus is talking about? And and this is where it might be a little bit of a surprise to us. If we ask the question, whose job is it to grow the church? You might say, Pastor Vikram's job. You might say, it's Tom's job. It's the elder's job. You might say, Jesus. And you'd be right about that in Ephesians 4. You might say the elders and pastors of a local church, and and you'd be right about that right in this passage. But in Ephesians 4.16, this is the verse we're going to drill down on this evening. In Ephesians 4.16, we find that church growth requires not gadgets and gurus, not marketing firms and management teams, not billboards and bumper stickers, but you. Church growth requires you. Listen to Ephesians 4.16. From Christ, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I know that's a long verse. The Apostle Paul wrote it. It's convoluted. It's a big jumble of words. Okay? Let's de-jumble it for a little bit. And, and I happen to like sentence diagramming. If, if you love sentence diagramming and you geek out on that kind of thing, you're already diagramming what I'm saying in your mind. That's intimidating to me. 
But it's going to help us out in this verse a little bit. There's a subject and there's a verb and there's an object in this verse. Okay, the subject, the church. The verb causes the growth. And what is the object? The church. I know it's in a prepositional phrase. Don't worry about that if you're diagramming it. The point is, the body causes the growth of the body. The church causes the growth of the church. And there's a way that that functions. That's what we're going to unfold this evening. All of you have a part to play in that. Every believer in the church has a part to play in that. And it doesn't require some official capacity, some title, or some position. Ephesians 4.16 is going to lead us to understand something very basic about the Christian life, very basic about your season in life right now, that the service that causes the growth of the church is organic, non-official, it's personal, it's relational, and it involves every single one of you. So let me give you four essential elements of church growth from this verse. We'll spend a short time on the first three, a little bit longer on the last. The first is the source of church growth. Look at the first phrase in verse 16, from whom. The main idea of the verse is the body causes the growth of the body. There's some words in between. There's this little phrase at the beginning. This little phrase, from whom, simply refers to Christ from verse 15. Do you see that there? He who is the head, even Christ, from whom. So here we have the source of church growth is none other than Jesus. He's the equipper, verse 11. He gave apostles, prophets, and evangelists. By the way, numbers do matter to Jesus. He wants people to come to saving faith. He gave pastors and teachers. Why did he give foundational first century church leaders? And then why does he give enduring offices of church leaders? For the equipping of saints. And I hope you know what a saint is. Uh, not a football player from New Orleans, not a, not a dead medieval uh, guy who did some miracles and people pray to him later. No, a saint is any Christian, a set-apart one. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Why do pastors exist? For the equipping of saints for the work of ministry. And those pastors were given by Jesus to that task. So Jesus is the equipper. Jesus is the focal point, verse 13, we are to attain the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Listen, knowing God through Jesus Christ is the definition of eternal life, John 17, 3. We should not think that we can take our eyes off of Christ, remove him from the center of our attention and our affections and our purpose, and somehow be doing that which pleases him. Church growth is going to be about him. He is also the standard, verse 13, we are to grow to the measure of the stature belonging to the fullness of Christ. What is the standard for the Christian life? What's the bar? Oh, you know, the Christian culture around me. Um, how much should my life conform to Christ? Oh, about as much as the other guys. You know, my friends in my Bible study. No, your, your buddies aren't the standard. Jesus is the standard. He is the one to set your eyes on, set your aim toward as what it means to live out life. He is also the goal, verse 15, we are to grow up in all aspects into him. We are moving toward him in our Christ-likeness, which brings a greater amount of worship and devotion to him. And then he is the authority, verse 15, he is the head, even Christ. 
what is a head in its relationship to the body. Uh, the head is in charge. The head gives direction. Uh, this is all of Christ's role. But in verse 16, Paul makes clear that Jesus is the source of church growth. Whatever our part, whatever our service, whatever our labors, Jesus Christ said he would build his church, Matthew 16, 18. And he is the ultimate source of the growth of his body. This is from him. Secondly, this evening, let's look at the purpose of church growth. Jesus Christ is the source. What is the purpose? We find this in verse 16, for the building up of the whole body, for the building up of itself, the building up of the church. And listen to the phrases here in verse 16, the whole body, the whole body causes and if we want to get technical about the verb form in the original here, it is a, it is a middle voice with self-interest. What that means is it is doing for itself something. The body causes for its own benefit the growth of the body. The subject is the focus of its own actions. And then notice the building up of itself in love. You see, the whole body uh, collectively comprised of all of its constituent parts together, brings about for itself its own growth for the purpose of building up the whole. So the church is seen as an organism, self-interested, whose various parts are operating in unison to bring about the development of the whole organism. Can you imagine a physical body whose individual parts were intent on self-aggrandizement over and against the development of the whole body. An elbow, perhaps, that decided, you know, I'm the elbow. I'm going to be the big deal around here. And the elbow just grows and grows and grows, all out of proportion with the rest of the body. But what do we call it when one portion of a body grows out of proportion with the rest? It, it's disease. It's a cancer. And these things are crippling to the rest of the body. What about when one part of the body fails to grow? Again, this is crippling disease and malformation. And you have to understand, Christian, that your part in the body of Christ is not individualistic. You are not on your own in this deal. You have not been rescued by God for the purpose of serving yourself. You've not been placed by God into the body. You've not been equipped by church leaders. You've not been gifted by the Holy Spirit in order to serve yourself. Your service in the church is not primarily about you. And a friend reminded me recently that we are really bad astronomers. I don't know if you do astronomy. You look out into the night sky and you say, yep, I'm the center of all of this. <laughs> We're just bad at it. This really isn't about us. The sun, moon, and stars don't revolve around me. The purposes of the church don't revolve around me. And the purpose of your part in serving the church is the growth of the whole body. Any strategy for church growth that is content to draw inordinate attention to one member or is content to leave individual members stagnant, struggling, or helpless does not meet God's purpose for the church. Thirdly, let's look at the climate of church growth. We might call this the atmosphere of church growth. What kind of atmosphere will the church grow? What kind of climate is required for the church to grow well? One word, love. Notice this in the last phrase in verse 16. 
the whole body causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is sort of a spatial idea here. The atmosphere of church growth has to be love. That is the climate in which the church will thrive and grow as God intends. And love is not the gushy feelings we get when we're around the people that we like. It is love from God, producing love in us for God, resulting in love for one another horizontally. This is love defined as as God made it, as God defines it, as God himself has exampled it. It is selfless, sacrificial love, Christ-like love. It's the, it's the kind of love that's not making transactional deals with people. Hey, I'll, I'll care for you if you live up to my expectations. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. We'll, we'll make a deal here. It's not that kind of love at all. It's the kind of love that gives and gives and gives and gives, abandoned to selfless service of others for the glory of Christ. Don't miss this little prepositional phrase at the end of verse 16. If love has left the building, you can be assured that whatever is happening in the organization is not true church growth. It's not growing up into Christ who is the head. It's not living up to the standard which is is Christ, which is the the goal or the, the, the mark of our maturity in him. And if love is to be the atmosphere for the growth of the church, then the quality of the growth of any church may be tested by the reality of its love. Love for God, love for one another, love for those outside. And as P.T. O'Brien has said, love thus becomes the criterion for the assessment of the church's true growth. You know, this isn't the only letter to Ephesus in your Bible. This is 1 Ephesians. Have you ever read 2 Ephesians? Oh no, did he just go apocryphal? What do I mean by that? Jesus wrote a letter to this church in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, to the church at Ephesus, right? And do you remember what Jesus said about that church? Love had left the building. You've left your first love. This is a serious charge here. And the church doesn't get to continue to be a lampstand, in the words of 2 Ephesians if love has left the building. It doesn't meet the standards for church growth if it's not an atmosphere and a climate of love, real, genuine, selfless love. All right, that leads us to point number four, the cause of church growth. And here I mean the immediate cause, not the ultimate cause, right? We already said the source was Jesus, but mechanically, the immediate cause of church growth is you, individual Christian. And I want to unpack this in some detail. I want to take a little time here. This is where the rubber meets the road in your Christian life, in the season of life that you're in, and your contribution to the task of gospel mission to the ends of the earth in the church age. This matters. Now we get to this jumble of words in the middle of verse 16. We said the main idea is the body causes the growth of the body. And and that growing body is described in this way. Look down at the verse. Being fitted and held together by every joint of the supply according to the proper working of each individual part. Again, that's a mouthful. But here you see the church is described as a body. This body metaphor is uh, all through Paul's letters, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Colossians, Ephesians, all use this same illustration for the church. And it's a really good metaphor. A body is an organic 
connection of interdependent parts. They are connected with each other. They are dependent upon one another. This is why we could say if one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. Think about the last time you stubbed your toe. The rest of your body didn't say, good riddance, who needs that thing? He's always running into stuff. All of you suffers. This is a good description of the body. And the church is described as an entire body in this verse. The whole body, that is the collective organism. And in this organism, there is unity, all part of one body, and there is diversity, different kinds of parts, various parts, one body. We are diverse ethnically, socially, diverse in gifting, diverse in function. And this church is a body described as being built by God. The little phrase, being fitted together, jumps out of the illustration of biology into the illustration of architecture. These are architectural words, and the idea is like stones that are precisely cut and then meticulously fit together, like the the great uh, stone walls all over Nashville, Tennessee. They're made without mortar, and they've been there for a couple hundred years, and they still stand because the stones were stacked and fitted so meticulously well together. That's the idea here. God, by the Holy Spirit, has shaped you, fashioned you, and put you together with other people in the church, just as he intends. And we are to be tightly held together like stonework in ancient construction. And then he says, being held together. This goes back to the realm of anatomy and physiology. And the idea here was used of of body parts compacted and knit together, interwoven into one solid whole. And so Paul pulls together uh, illustrations from the architectural world and from the physiological world and puts them together in this picture of the church. And this idea of um, growing, being fitted together, uh, proper working, all of this is present tense. This is ongoing And the being fitted and held together are passive. That means God is the one doing it. He's the one that fits us together. He's the one that is compacting us together and holding us together. This is his work. He is the master builder. And this means that there is no room in the Christian life for the solo Christian. You know, sort of the lone wolf, rogue, cowboy Christian just out there doing it on his own. That is foreign to the New Testament. When the Lord saved you, he designed for you to be identified with Christ visibly, publicly, and confessionally, and he designed you to be identified with Christ's body, his people. And as a good friend of mine has said, you you can't say you love Jesus and hate his wife. (laughs) The other illustration for the church. The point is, God has placed you by his design into a body, a little part of the body, dismembered and trying to do life on its own, can't and won't, will not be faithful. That idea is totally foreign to Jesus' plan and to the New Testament. And we're not just next to each other in the church. It's not like we just have assigned seating. I don't know if you have assigned seating at Countryside Bible Church or if you secretly put a name tag on the bottom of your favorite seat. You know, somebody new gets into that seat on a Sunday morning and you're like, what are they doing? 
And sometimes we just sort of have our locations and, hey, I'm with the people because I'm shoulder to shoulder where I normally sit. That's not enough. Our lives are actually to be interwoven. That means we talk to each other. We depend on each other. In fact, I won't take the time to go through it this evening, but um, I could read off the list of all the one another commands of the New Testament. Somewhere between 25 and 35 different ones. What does it mean to interact with each other so that we know what's going on in each other's lives? What does it mean to be close enough to each other that we have to confess our sins to one another and forgive one another? I would contend that if we're not sinning against each other in the body of Christ, we're not close enough. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and sin, but I am telling you that if you are living like the body of Christ that Jesus designed, you will sin against people. You will get sinned against. And, and sometimes we think, oh man, I've had it with people. I'm never going to be a part of the church. They sinned against me again. Well, yeah, what did you expect? And we need to be close enough to each other to actually experience each other's lives. This is the idea of being interwoven, knit together, organically connected. Charles Simeon said, believers are no more independent of each other than they are of Christ. As they are united to him by faith, so they are united to each other by love. That's how God has designed this. And notice the second part of verse 16. By every joint of supply, according to the proper working of each individual part, that's what causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The body, fitted and joined together, causes the growth of the body. This makes the growth or does the growth. And we can examine this by asking several questions. By what means does the body grow the body? And to what degree does the body grow the body? Or we might say, how, so mechanically, again, how does the body grow? And, and then we'll ask, how well is it growing? Both of those are answered by this middle section of verse 16. First, let's answer by what means does the body grow? Or how does the body actually grow? And, and Paul's answer to that is by every joint of supply. Or by what every joint supplies. Now don't think of joints like elbows and knees. You know, we, we think of, uh, of joints in our body now. But the word for joint here was a, a medical, physiological term. But it meant any connection point between anything in a body. Um, where, where tissue joins bone, ligaments, uh, any of these connective tissue things. This is what the word meant in the first century in Greek. And what Paul means is simply points of contact. Wherever you are in the body, however you're designed by God, whatever gifts, whatever diversity you have, uh, you are joined up against other parts of the body. And every point of that joining is the focus of where supply comes. It is the supply of life, vitality, and energy for growth of the entire body. The word su for supply here is the word for abundant provision. God is eager and ready and by design has made the focal points of your interconnectivity the locus of abundant provision of vitality of growth for the whole church. Again, we're asking the question, how does a church grow? Right here in these relationships. Right here in our interconnected joints. The joints of supply are the means by which the parts of the body are fitted and held together. God fits and holds us together by means of the life that flows from him 
through those joints to each other. And this unified interconnectedness causes the growth of the whole. Jesus fuels the growth. He fuels it through our connectedness. And this life, the vitality, the energy for the church is Jesus himself. Literally, the text says, every joint of the supply. I think that's a reference to Christ. He is the life in us, through us, met in our interconnectedness that becomes the life of the church. So, how well are you connected to others in the body of Christ? How well are you connected? Are you in relationship with others in the body of Christ? Have, have you taken down the walls of isolation and have you become vulnerable enough to know and to be known in the body of Christ? Are you giving of yourself in real relationship in the body of Christ? How well are you connected? Do you feel lost when someone is missing? Do you look around on a Sunday and say, hey, where's so-and-so? And the church just isn't the same when they're not here. Does the church miss you when you're absent? How well are you connected? How well are you connected to the other members of the body throughout the week? Is your church life boiled down to Sundays only? Are you regularly in the habit of communication, fellowship, encouragement, prayer throughout the week? No part of the body is unneeded. No member is superfluous. Every member has been placed by God into this body for the growth of the body. That's how church growth works. We get connected. Christ's life through us in those connections causes the growth of the whole. Now, to what degree does the body grow the body? We might ask, how well? Paul answers that question by saying, according to the proper working of each individual part. According to the proper working of each individual part. Look back up to verse 7 of chapter 4. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Jesus measured out the proper proportion of grace gift to every believer. He's sovereign. He knows what he's doing. He's given you what he has given you. Now, is that portion working properly? Are you, individual Christian, living up to what Jesus designed? The body does not work well when individual parts are not working well. I'll steal an illustration that I, um, from physiology that I needed recently. I got a cut above my eyebrow and it wouldn't stop bleeding. And I, I ruined my favorite hat. I'm trying to get the blood to stop flowing. The coagulation process in the human body is fascinating. I don't know if you've looked into this. Some people bleed and they're like, I don't want to know anything about this. Somebody else take care of it for me. <laughs> to me, it's fascinating. Um, it's probably more fascinating for me when I'm bleeding than when someone else is bleeding, but uh, it's amazing what happens in, in what's called the coagulation cascade. As soon as there's trauma to a specific area, you have a vascular spasm. That is, the vessels that carry blood begin to pulsate. They get really active, and it happens instantaneously and lasts for 20 to 30 minutes. 
And when that vascular spasm is taking place, you develop what's called a platelet plug. And and there are platelets flowing in the bloodstream all the time. and, And when they come in contact with damaged surface, they begin to swell. And they grow these weird, sticky protrusions. And they just get to get all tangled up with each other. And they're stopping blood flow. They form a clot. And the clot is formed in some three to six minutes. And after about a half hour to an hour, the clot begins to retract. It pulls itself tight. And as it's pulling itself tight, what is it doing? It's pulling the broken edges of skin or other damaged tissue together. It's like stitching you up, sort of automatically. And then eventually the clot will dissolve and it just removes itself back into the bloodstream. Or it'll, if it's big enough, it'll turn into some fibrous tissue that becomes sort of the network for skin to regrow in the area. It's a really remarkable process and every part of the process involves complex chemical processes, chemical activators, clotting factors, enzymes, all in a very specific cascade. And if one piece of that chain of events gets out of order... You die. If the clot doesn't form, you bleed out and you're done. You meet your maker. If clots form at the wrong times in the wrong places, they clog up arteries and veins and you meet your maker. I mean, this is a critical process that saves lives when it works and kills you when it doesn't. And every little piece, every little part, every little step in the process has to work just right in its proper order or else the whole body suffers. By the way, side note, there's a sermon in there somewhere about evolution and how stupid it is. That's for another time. Think about this in your part in the body of Christ. Let's let's say the individual Christian is reading her Bible She's spending time with God in prayer. She's reading her Bible not to check off a box, but to actually meet with God, to to worship him, to to grow in her knowledge of him, to grow in her usefulness. And, And she's just hungry. She's being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. She's boasting in the gospel. She loves telling other people about what Jesus has done for her. What's gonna happen when she bumps into another believer? All of that spiritual vitality spills out on the other person. And what's the effect? If you're the one that bumps into her, you're like, man, that was encouraging. I need to read my Bible like that. I need to share the gospel more. I need to think about my salvation more. I need to grow in my knowledge of God. Wow, she's so discerning. She wasn't fooled by that wind of doctrine that blew through town that I got tricked by. And it's just contagious. And if you're encouraged at her vitality of spirituality, guess what happens to her? She's encouraged that you're encouraged by her spiritual vitality. And so the sum is greater than its parts. Two plus two now equals seven and a half. If we're going to give a a scale on spiritual fervency. Well, that's just thrilling. Because now, what does she go to? She wants to go read her Bible some more. She wants to spend more time with believers. She wants to spend more time with unbelievers and evangelistic conversations. And it just grows. And can you imagine this room full of people in a week like that? You soak in God's word. You're spending time in prayer. You're just chasing after the Lord Jesus Christ like he is your treasure. And then you get together And you just bleed all over each other. Not in the coagulation style. I forget that illustration. It was a metaphor. 
And then the whole thing just grows. What an exciting place to be where we're just riveted by each other's presence, thinking about eternal things together. And then we go out and we scatter to the world that desperately needs those eternal things and we gather again and we're excited all over again, just growing. Now flip that around. Think about the young man, spiritually dry. Lost sight of the discipline of spending time in God's word. Or maybe he's reading the Bible to check off boxes to say he did it. He's not praying. Lack of compassion for people around him that are running headlong into eternal destruction. He's not sharing the gospel with people. When you bump into him, he's excited about sports. He's worried about politics. He's got all the latest facts and figures about whatever hobby he's into. He's up on entertainment and pop culture and video games. But about Christ, eh. Oh yeah, no, I go to church, I'm a Christian. What happens when you bump into that guy? You're going to be discouraged about politics, excited about hobbies, interested in sports. I mean, that, that's contagious too. And what is the effect on the church? Do you understand the equation here in Ephesians 4.16? Christian, you're not alone. If you thought about reading your Bible in the morning and spending time with the Lord in prayer, cultivating spiritual disciplines, running hard after Christ, being an evangelist on the earth, if you thought those things were about you, you are mistaken. They are about the church. And a proper working individual part joined together with other properly working individual parts causes the growth of the church. Flip that around. You don't get together? You're not interconnected with other people? Or the individual parts are not working properly? What happens to the church? Dismembered? Dysfunctional? Diseased? Stunted in its growth? ineffective in its witness, lacking in love, not living up to the maturity as a standard in Christ. At some point, the light goes out and the church doesn't get to be a lampstand anymore. Do you understand how important this is? Individual Christian, you have to work properly. And you have to join your life to others in the body of Christ. That is where real vitality and real life for church growth happens. How well are you working? As an individual Christian before the Lord, cultivating disciplines, being gripped by eternal realities, following Christ. The goal of the church is building itself up in love. Uh, That is, the church as the body of Christ is to exemplify the goals and aims and directions and the character of its head, Jesus. We are to look like him together. It means that my hands just don't do whatever they want to do. No, they're directed by my brain. When the various parts of the body act contrary to the purposes of the body, uh, again, we call that disease. 
When you think about how you're serving in this church, you might gravitate to thinking about an official capacity. Maybe on Sunday mornings you've got a, a name tag and, and a spot and a location and everybody could identify, I know what that person does. That's not really your service in the church. Those are important capacities. But you understand that you can check in kids at the children's ministry and do the data entry and the computer thing mechanically and then not actually be ministry. If you happen to be the triangle player for the children's music ministry, but you're infatuated with your ability at the triangle, <laughs> several problems with that. <laughs> but in and around those official capacities, worship the Lord. Be committed to him. In every part that you play in the church, be a properly working individual part interconnected with other parts. Some people are techie and, and they hide behind the technology. You always got to be a people person. Some people are people people and they forget that, oh, we got to clean up the dishes after the event's done. We all have ways to grow in these things. If after this weekend, maybe you're feeling like you want to finally find a place to serve in the church, maybe you ask Pastor Vikram, maybe you ask one of the elders, one of the ministry leaders, where can I serve? You might get one of these responses. Hmm. I'm not sure. Let me get back to you. You know, the nursery is completely staffed. We have way too many drummers. The bathrooms are already spotless. The shut-ins and, and the people in hospitals, they're, they're visited so much they're asking for me time. Every residence within a seven-mile radius of this church is evangelized every week. They're getting tired of us. They open the door and they say, hi, you're from Countryside Bible Church again. The lines in the parking lot got repainted last week. I don't know if there's anything I can give to you. <laughs> don't give up hope. Every part of the body of Christ is needed. And it is not critical that you have a position or a title. Do you understand that? You be Christian. It requires you growing in your love for God, your knowledge of his word, being connected to others in real relationship. That is the mechanism for real church growth. More than any program, more than any position. That point of contact between growing believers is the immediate cause of the growth of the only organization that Jesus has planned, bled for, and sanctioned and empowered to take his gospel to the ends of the earth. The church needs you. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this evening, for the start of this weekend. I thank you for the opportunity to be here with 128. Uh, we ask that you would use your word to accomplish your purposes. Even as we sing now in reflection on these things, we pray that you'd be glorified. Uh, not that we would just say words along with everybody else that are familiar, but that we might mean them from the heart. That, that we would be a properly working individual part of the body even now. 